Good evening, Cornerstone family. My name is Greg Tonkinson. Um, I'm not a regular attender here. I used to be and have loved the Cornerstone family. And so thanks for joining us this evening. I uh, teach over at Valley Christian High School, um, have some great friends that go to Cornerstone and they speak so highly of you. And, and every time I come here, uh, it's such a privilege for me to come and just to speak God's word to you uh, and really to learn together. I mentioned last time I was back here in October teaching at the mine that, uh, that there really is no place I'd rather be than to discover things in God's word with you. Uh, so that's what I want to do tonight if we could do that together. Um, just so you know, uh, your cornerstone is, is out and about in the valley. Uh, I was teaching today and one of my students had just come back from a missions trip and she was just elated and really wanted to share with the whole class uh, what God had been doing in her life. And upon probing a little further, come to find out she was one of the people that went to India uh, right here from Cornerstone. And you need to know the impact that God is having on an 18-year-old girl um, who decided that she would take a risk and live by faith and raise some support with her mom and go over to India for two weeks. And God is, has is really just transformed uh, Megan's life. And you're a part of that. If you give regularly to this church, you are a part of transforming lives. Uh, so when times get tough, when you're not feeling it, please know that God's word is going forth in the lives of the people here at Cornerstone. So I'm excited to be with you here this evening. I understand that Tim left off on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. And so why don't you turn there with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 3. You could go to 3, 5, but we're going to be in 5, 3. And as we get started tonight, uh, Tim left me with some really fun things to talk about tonight. And so I'm glad for that. I want to start with a question, and I want to start with having you give me feedback, because this is really going to determine the next several minutes of our discussion here tonight as to what we think about this issue. So if I can just give a few questions, we've got a couple of mics here on the side. I would love to hear your answers to these questions. For instance, can you be a Christian and be in a committed sexual relationship with someone you're not married to for an extended period of time and not feel bad about it? That's question number one. Let me hear what your thoughts are. Can I be a Christian and be in a committed sexual relationship with someone that's not my spouse for an extended period of time and not feel bad about that? Um, you, you can be a Christian, uh, but you cannot continue in that relationship and not feel bad about it because the Holy Spirit will uh, just tear you up inside. Uh, if you know God, there's no way that he would let you get away with that. Okay, so, so I'm not clear on your answer. No, okay. Appreciate that. that and appreciate for your boldness too because it's not an easy question. And if you're going to step out and give me an answer, I, I appreciate that. But I think it will help us get to where we need to go this evening. Yeah. I feel like on the flip side of that, you can be a Christian. But if you have backslidden far enough that you just ignore the Holy Spirit and, like, it's just not as strong in your life anymore, then you might not be bothered by it. Okay. So I've got one no, 
and a yes. And you're married. It's going to be a great discussion on the way home tonight. Excellent. Anyone else? So I got another yes? With her, yes. Because of the same reason? Because you can push down the Holy Spirit to where you're not going to listen. You can push down the Holy Spirit as a Christian to the point where you can have a committed sexual relationship with someone for an extended period of time and not feel bad about that. Yes. Okay. Just want to make sure we're clear on that. Yeah, I got some hands right over here. Um, having been in an extended, committed sexual relationship <clears throat> and proclaiming to be a Christian, um, I lived with the same woman I, who is now my wife for eight years before we got married. Um, and I, I very much feel that I'm a Christian, but you just don't have that connection with God that you should have. And it hurt us enough that we decided that to please God, and following his teaching, we would have to put our lives together as one with him as the center. And let me just say, I extremely appreciate your honesty and vulnerability. That's not easy to do. Um, what made you, do you mind me asking, I, we don't know each other, um, but what made you give it up? Well, well, coming here for one and listening to one of the series that Lynn presented, Family Matters, we realized that we could not raise a child in a Christ, Christian atmosphere and in, put on him having God in his life and us living hypocritically. Huh. So, so if I can clarify, you were in this relationship, you knew something wasn't right. Is that like, oh, exactly, exactly. Okay. And we... And we justified it saying, you know, we're, we are committed together. Um, we are, we'll, we will eventually get married. The time yeah. is it now, blah, blah. We made a number of excuses. Sure. But when it comes down to it, you cannot follow Christ's teaching in bits and pieces. So well said, and we're still very much Christian, but we were being very disobedient to what he wanted us to do. Okay. And it makes a huge difference being married. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. I do not believe that you can have it both ways. You can have one or the other. It's either a committed relationship with God or it's a committed sexual relationship, but you can't have both. Okay. So I I can have God or I can be in a committed sexual relationship and and not feel bad about that. I just can't do both. Okay. Yep. It depends on the circumstances. Uh, for instance, um, I've been married 44 years, but I, 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 but I haven't lived with my wife for over six years. She's in a nursing home, doesn't know who I am, hasn't got a clue who I am. Yeah. And yet, you know, to give you an answer, I was, I'm not in a, a sexual relationship, but um, I could say I could be. Sure. And, uh, and uh, under these circumstances, I think that would be okay. Okay. So there may be some exceptions based on circumstances. Okay. Um, uh, The goal is not to have you talk all night, though. It's I love the discussion. Let me ask one more question, if I could. Can you be a Christian and keep all your money and never give it away? Can you be a Christian and keep all of your money 
and never give it away. I'm going to ask a third question while we're getting to the second one so you can be ready for this. Can you be a Christian and go to every R-rated movie in 2012 and not just go but look forward to going? Can you be a Christian and keep all of your money, never give it away, and let me just add this, and you don't feel bad about that. That never crosses your mind to give your money away as a Christian. My answer would be, why would you want to? Give it away. No, why would you want to keep it? If you... Oh, I could give you a lot of reasons why I want to keep my money. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, you're, you're for the entire course of your life, and then, you know, you're on, even at death's bed, there are people that still cling to it. And I've always been, why would you want to? Because in the times I've had the opportunity to give in any way, shape, or form, I've always felt a greater reward having done that. Yeah. yeah. No, I... Yeah, I I guess that answer would sell in certain circumstances and groups and would not in others. Um, So I understand that. But that's because we are in the habit of giving it away. But can I live a life where I come to church, I claim to be a Christian, and I just keep all my stuff? Yes, Yes, you can. But like the first question, you would feel horrible about it. So you would feel bad about it? Oh, yeah. Can I do it and not feel bad about it? I, from my experience and every Christian I know, no. So you'd end up feeling, you could do it, sure. I could be a Christian, keep all of my money over the years, never give it away, not feel bad about it. You're saying I can do that as a Christian. Oh, no, you would, I'm saying you could do it, but you would feel bad about it. Okay, so I would feel, there's some sort of conviction, there was some, there'd be some sort of angst inside of me. Yes. Okay. And and to the second question, yes. Oh, Uh, the R-rated movie. (laughs) Sorry, did you want me to answer that Yeah, no, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Well, let's say you're a movie critic. I know that that's, you know, one out of a million people, but... Just an example. Okay. All right. So let me chase your example. Okay. Can I be a Christian and be a movie critic and know that that's my job and justify my job by going to see every R-rated movie this year and justifying it by saying I have to do it, God, because I'm a movie critic? Well, let's say that your job is to go to those movies and tell people how bad they really are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'll take the bullet for everyone. Yeah. It's sacrifice. Yeah. Living okay, by example. Okay. Can I just chase that? Sure. Can, can, I, be a, um, can I be a strip club? Um, Where are you going with this? Kind of secret shopper. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't see so I can where tell that everyone how bad critic, they are. I don't, I don't. I don't see where that fits. As uh, now you're moving into new realm, I think. So I would say no. Okay. So I can't see it live, but I can watch it on the screen. Yeah. I have a question for you. Is what you're getting at? You can do all the wrong things. But in the end, it's not going to be pleasing to God, but you can still be a Christian. But in the end, it's not going to benefit your eternal life. So why not do 
what would be pleasing to God. Yeah, so let me answer that because I'm not avoiding questions. The reason I'm asking these questions is because I'm convinced after having spent several, uh, the past season of my life in the prison epistles, Paul seems to address this issue very specifically with a, a lifestyle of a believer and the lifestyle of what he refers to as different terms, sons of disobedience, deeds of darkness, deeds of the flesh. And Paul doesn't have a problem calling people out by their lifestyle. Not by, well, if God really knew my heart or, you know, there are certain circumstances I find myself where I have to do it or, well, God will understand. Paul seems to make some very clear lines in the sand that if you're living after Christ, your life will reflect, and then he fills in the blank. And if you're living in the deeds of the flesh, or if you're a son or daughter of disobedience, your life will look like blank. And the questions I'm asking, obviously they're baited, because I'm taking the approach of what Paul deems as deeds of the flesh, or the actions of the sons and daughters of disobedience. And I'm putting them in a Christian context. And I'm asking us in a real life situation. Can I do these things. And get away with them. And feel very good about my walk with the Lord. And is that okay according to God's word. So that, that's why I'm asking these questions. I like the discussion because I think that these questions. I, they're, they're ones I wrestle with. When I go to an R-rated movie, I have to understand why am I going and what am I putting in front of my eyes? When I don't give, I have to understand why am I not giving? When I'm, I'm about to engage in sexual immorality, I have to understand why am I doing this and is it okay? Because guys, I'll just be honest with you, I'm 43, I've lived life just a little bit and I want things to be okay that sometimes I find that God says aren't okay. And, may, and maybe you're, you're in that same position. The deeds of the flesh, the, the things that the sons and daughters of disobedience participate in, aren't um, horrifically torturous evil things, for the most part. We can all get away from, you know, torturing little cats and, and think that, well, yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. But sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend outside of, a, outside of a marriage, not giving, or the reverse of that would be greed, to, be, to live a greedy life. To have a mouth that when I wake up and enjoy just forwarding raunchy jokes and just illicit emails that I know are going to provoke a reaction in people. Those are the, that's, the, that's the stuff we live in, in middle America um, upper middle class, I live on a cul-de-sac type person. We're not, we're not dealing with, you know, torturing things. But what's interesting about the scripture is neither is Paul. And what I find amazing about God's word is 2,000 years ago, Paul addressed some issues that I think we're struggling with today. Now, how would Paul know that? How would he know being chained up in Rome, writing to the church at Ephesus, that 2,000 years later, 2,100 years later, 
a group of Christians in a place he's never been would struggle with the same things that he's going to mention in this passage. How would he know that? If it not be for the fact that God knows that inside this, every person is this sin nature. And we gravitate towards what I would call sins of self-indulgence. So watch, just track with me here. Unless, I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut anyone off if you have a comment or. Okay, I've got more questions. So listen to verse three. So Tim mentioned yesterday or last week to be imitators of God as beloved children and to walk into love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And then Paul gets into the, and the back half, by the way, of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, somewhat of Galatians, Paul does the same exact thing. He says, let me build you a case for what your position is in Jesus. Let me tell you who you are in Christ. Because in the back half of my letter, I need to give you some very practical application. And I don't think you're going to like it. So before I get to the don't do's, let me tell you all the things that you are in Christ. And that's what he does in these Prison epistles in Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. Because I think we read verse 5, and our first reaction, I think, is to try to, to, to justify why we should be able to do these things. So Paul says this, he says, but do not let immorality, the word there is pornea, right? The Greek word there is pornea, which we get the word Porn, yeah, okay, don't, yeah, don't go too far. I mean, it's porn, which means, by the way, and different theologians have taken different stances on this. Some mean it's strictly sexual um, uh, intercourse outside of marriage. Some have taken a very liberal approach to mean anything that's regarded as sexual. Pornography, um, you know, anything like that would be included in this. So I'm not going to tell you where to land on this, but at the very least... Everyone agrees it's sexual um, intercourse outside of marriage. So let's just stick with that. Paul says, don't let immorality or impurity, and, and in the near context here, the, the, the broad term for impurity would be any kind of impurity, but because he links it with sexual sins, I think the reference there is more towards sexual impurity or greed even be named among you as his proper as saints. There must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So Paul gives a list here, right? He gives a list of immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. Then he says in verse 5, and know with certainty that no... Now listen to this. He says in verse 5, know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has what? has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, Paul isn't mincing words here, is he? He's naming names. See, I think we struggle with this as a church today. I think we struggle with naming things that you can't and shouldn't do as a Christian. And I think we struggle with it because we do it as Christians. And because of that, when we get down to the back half of verse 5, no one who does this has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. We now struggle because now we're thinking, well, I want an inheritance in the kingdom of God. 
and yet I'm acting like the person who isn't going to get an inheritance. So where do I fit, God? So what we do in our own minds is we say, well, it can't mean that. Okay, um, go one book back to your left. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Let's start in... Let's start in verse 16. Here we go. Galatians chapter 5. Look at starting in verse 16. Paul says, but if you're led, I'm sorry, but I say walk by the spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For in the flesh, it sets its desire against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things you please. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, let me give you some deeds of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh are evident. He's not saying here the deeds of the flesh are, you know, you really got to search high and low for these. He's saying the deeds of the flesh will be evident. And so let me give you some. This isn't an exclusive list, but listen to some of the similarities. What does Paul start with? The deeds of the flesh, where they're evident, which are immorality, same word, pornea, impurity, same word, moral, sensual sins, sensuality, Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, suspension, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, and he says the same exact thing he says to the church at Ephesus. Okay, go two books over to your right now. Galatians, Ephesians, go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Well, I'll start in verse 1. Paul says, since then, if then you have been, and that's um, uh, the word there for if is, is the, the way it's written, is since. Since then you have been raised up with Christ. Paul is assuming this. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's talking obviously to believers here. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, he says now in verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to, and what does he start with? Consider the earthly members of your body dead to immorality, impurity, passion, which is... um, inordinate affection there evil desire and greed which amounts to idolatry for it is on account of these things that the wrath of god will come so i read three different books written by paul three different letters written by paul and let's go back to ephesians where where our main text is and guys i guess it helps paint the picture of what paul is saying in chapter five when he gets to don't let immorality impurity, greed be named among you. There must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let me just flip it around. Okay, based on, not me, but based on the word of God, who is not getting into the kingdom of God? Can you name certain people who are not getting into the kingdom of God based on the word of God? Can we do that? Can we generate a list as small as it may be based on those three texts 
of who is not getting into the kingdom. Are you okay with that? Paul says, this you know with certainty that these people are not getting in. Now, let me just back up, I guess. For some of us here tonight, this comes as a shock. What do you mean they're not getting in? So there's a kingdom of God, and some people say that that is is both present and future. Luke 17 talks about the kingdom of God being in our hearts. Okay, so that's the present kingdom of God. It's existing right now amongst us. But then there's a future kingdom of God. Now, depending on how you take your theological position for eschatology, will determine what you think that is. But let's just agree that there is a future kingdom of God. Some people believe it's spiritual. Some people believe it's actual physical kingdom. Either way, there's a current kingdom of God that you and I have because we know Christ. And then there's a future. And Paul is saying either one, both current and future, these people aren't getting it. Right? Okay, again, we're not having a discussion like, do we think they're going to get it? Um, Wouldn't it be nice if everyone got it? Paul is saying very clearly to you and to me tonight, Christian, there are certain people, they're not getting it. And let me just go one step further if I can, and, and then, and then I, I want to address this. Paul says in verse 5 that, that not only do they not have an inheritance, but look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, what he's saying there is, don't believe the lie that those things are okay. See, culture 2,000 years ago told the people of Ephesus, those things are okay. Sex outside of marriage, that's okay. Everyone's doing it. You want to be greedy and keep all your stuff? That's okay. Everyone's doing it. Fast forward 2,100 years, we're hearing the same thing from our culture. And I think as a church here in America, we have bought into that. I know we have. Because whenever these passages come up, we do everything we can to justify why we should still be doing those things. I pulled this off of, um, and this is, how, this is how I know. So these are statistics, so, you know, whatever for statistics. But in 2009, 46% of high school students have had sexual intercourse, okay? Half of high school students in 2009. 13.8% had four or more sex partners during their life. That's high school students having four or more partners during their life. Now, they're not married. We, we know that. Um, prior to the sexual activity, 21% drank alcohol or used drugs. 2009, 34% of currently sexually active high school students don't use condoms. It's estimated that in 2006, 5,200 people ages 13 to 24 were diagnosed with HIV. Approximately each year, 19 million new STD infections occur. Almost half of them are among youth ages 15 to 24. Right? So our culture is saying to, to our young people, it is okay. You're going to do it. And so the, the goal isn't to stop you from doing this. It's to help you understand how to be better educated. That's our culture, and, and you know that, and, and I know that. But I have to ask, where are they getting that, inf- where are they getting that philosophy Where do they get a philosophy that says, regardless of what the Bible says, young Christian, Christian that grew up in Awanas and and, and little Awana things and Bible sword drills and 
and Sunday school, and then they went to youth group and youth camp and high school camp. And where are they getting the idea that what I just read doesn't apply to them? Culture. Some of the top shows on Fox, Glee, House, New Girl, any sexual immorality taking place on those shows. Smash, Whitney, 30 Rock, The Office, any sexual immorality taking place on those shows. The Bachelor. <laughs> Need I say more? I don't know. Is Modern Family, Grey's Anatomy, Two and a Half Men, Two Broke Girls, How I Met Your Mother. Now, we watch those shows. And what's our justification for watching them? Because they're funny. And if you don't think they're funny, you're not funny. So uh, we watch them. You watch them. I watch them. And then all of a sudden, my 12-year-old watches them. My 12-year-old starts picking up the idea that I think every one of those shows has sexual immorality at least once in their show, if not multiple times. So then they get to high school, and then they realize, hey, I meet someone I'm attracted to, I'm physically attracted to. I don't know what to do. Well, I... And then they're going to have sex. It's sex outside of marriage. And Paul says, you shouldn't be doing that as a Christian. And we say as the body of Christ, we can't help it, God. And God's saying, I think you can. I think you should. So I guess I just find it interesting for myself and maybe for you, how we do such a great job of justifying our sin. Instead of maybe here's an option. I blew it, God, and I feel horrible about it. I feel terrible about it. And so I fall on my face and I repent before a holy God that that's not the way I should be living. And God, I want to do everything in my power because I have the power to say no and to not do it. To not do it. And then a few weeks go by and I do it again. And I fall on my face again and repent. Do you understand that's different than what Paul is talking about here? Paul is talking about the person who does it and has no remorse and has no regard for sin or the, or the effect it has on your conscience or those around you. It's a self-indulgent lifestyle. All of these, immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, course, they're all self-indulgent. And Paul's saying they don't have a place in your life or in mine. So if it is in your life right now, Christian, you need to work hard at getting rid of it. And you can. It's just a matter of do you want to? Because as I mentioned before, who doesn't like this stuff? It's all self-satisfying, and we like that. Question. Um, so it says shall not inherit the kingdom of God if yeah. you do these things. So let's say you're a Christian, you grow up in that, you know, environment, you're a Christian, and then you fall away from God and you have sex outside of marriage and do those things. Well, what if someone died right then and there? I mean, are they going to go to hell or are they <laughs> right, going to go to exactly, heaven? Exactly, yeah. So let me just answer that real quickly because it's a great question. Uh, and, I, and I haven't listened much to, to Lynn's podcast, and so I'll take a stab at this. Um, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, 
Paul says in verse 3, among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, chapter 2, verse 3, and indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him, seated us in, with him in the heavenly places in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. So what I believe, and in fact, let me just highlight real quickly one more passage just to cement this thought into our minds tonight. Because I knew, I kind of guessed that this is where the conversation would go. And so let me clarify. Chapter 6 of John, if you're writing notes or whatever. Chapter 6 of John This has really helped me with this because I would get caught in these cycles and I still do. So let me just make that clear. If I read those passages out of Ephesians, Colossians and Galatians and think I'm in trouble. And God, I hope that that if my number gets called tonight, I hope I'm not in one of these. Life is going to be very, very frustrating for you and me. Life is going to be filled with more of a works relationship with God than it is with a grace-filled relationship with God. If I believe that I can fall into the category of not inheriting the kingdom. And that's a dangerous place to be. It really is. So I go to bed every night thanking God that while I will have sin issues... um, I'm not in jeopardy of not inheriting the kingdom. So watch in in John chapter 6, look at verse 35. Now again, this will expose my theological predisposition on, on salvation, but I don't know how else to read it, to be honest with you. John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, so Jesus says the responsibility for you and for me is to come to him. And he says, if you do that, you'll never hunger and never thirst. Great. Well, now watch what he says. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. So Jesus is kind of creating this, this illustration All that God gives to me, like an inheritance, they will come. Now, I've already kind of opened my my robe here and have exposed that I I believe in election. And so, because I believe that this passage and others say that. That God has given to Jesus an inheritance. And Jesus says, and the one, all that the Father gives to me shall come. And the one who comes to me, I won't cast out. And then he says, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of, God, of, of him who sent me. And this is the will of God who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. I think what Jesus is saying there is, I love inheritances. And my inheritance is you. Those who God says, I want her to be a child of mine. And Jesus says, I value that so much that whatever God gives to me, verse 39, I lose nothing, but I will raise it up on the last day. So to answer your question, if you know Christ tonight as your savior, you do not have to worry about not inheriting the kingdom ever. Okay, so so I want to be clear on that. Because if you look back on Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says some interesting things here about the wrath of God. 
Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You need to know this tonight, and I need to know this. The wrath of God has come, is currently coming, and will come on the sons and daughters of disobedience. Now, Scripture is quite clear, and and not to, to take up time tonight, you're either a son and daughter of God, or you're a son and daughter of disobedience. There is no middle ground. And if you're a son and daughter of disobedience, you need to know while you will engage in these things on a regular basis, immorality, impurity, greed, all the deeds of the flesh, filthiness, the wrath of God is upon you. The wrath of God here, the word for wrath is orge. It's different than another word we use for wrath. And one, the other word we use for wrath is like an instant wrath, like, like when you get cut off and you just instantly kind of get lit at someone. That's not this. But orge is rather a planned, patient, confident, my wrath is upon you and there's nothing you can do about it type of anger and indignation God has toward the sons and daughters of disobedience. So here's a question. Do you ever hear the phrase, God loves the sinner but hates the sin? We champion that phrase, right? Why do we like that phrase? Because we're all sinners, but, but why, why do we really like it? Because what does it do? God loves the sinner but hates the sin. What does that do for me as a sinner? It gets me off the hook. You're right. Right? We almost, sep- we almost go almost go like Sybil on it. You know, we, we go into this like, it's, it's not me, God. You still love me. You just hate my sin. Okay? Do you believe that? God loves the sin sinner but hates the sin. Do, do you believe that? It preaches great, I'll tell you that much. Man, God loves you. God loves you. <laughs> really emphasize it. Loves you. But he hates your sin. Well, that's good. Because you know what? I hate my sin too. But God loves me. Turn to Psalm real quickly. Go to Psalm 5. I, I, Psalm 5. Um, someone, it, it, Psalm 5, can you give her the mic or someone over here the mic? Can you read Psalm 5 5? Someone have it over here? Psalm 5 5. Someone's got it over here, I'm sure. Psalm 5 5. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You hate all who do wrong. Do wrong. Uh, in the New American Standard, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity or do sin. God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Well, now wait a minute. David says you hate all who do iniquity. What does God hate? 
Go, go over two, two books. Or two, yeah, Psalm 11. Psalm 11, verse 5. What do you, um, say, uh, we'll go to the same, same reader here. It just, it's more emphasis if you read it so that you don't think I'm just making this up. Go ahead, Psalm 11, 5. All right. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. What does God hate with a passion? The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked and the one who loves violence, God's soul hates. God loves the sin, but or, God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. I don't. I don't know where we came up with that. Romans three verse ten: For there is none righteous, not one. Can Can I just show you real quickly? Then um, go to Revelation. Revelation chapter twenty one. Revelation twenty. Revelation chapter twenty. You know what? Go to go to go to nineteen first. Let's let's just do something here. Let's make a let's make a connection here. Go to Revelation nineteen. Look at verse twenty. Revelation nineteen twenty. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped the image. And these two, the beast and the false prophet, were thrown alive into where? The lake of fire. So we know, we know, we don't know much. We know this. The beast and the false prophet are going where? The lake of fire. Okay, now watch chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them, he was thrown where? Into the lake of fire. Okay. Now my guess is this. It's the same lake. So now we've got the devil, the beast, and the false prophet all thrown into the lake of fire. Now go to chapter 20, verse 14. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. We just don't have time tonight to discover what death and Hades are, but we know this. The beast, the false prophet, the devil, death and Hades are all in the lake of fire. Now verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so I, I go back to Ephesians, gang. And I guess I need to understand how sober of a message Paul is making this. We're not playing games here. Paul's saying there is a destination for the sons and daughters of disobedience. And it's called the lake of fire. Where the devil will be. And the false prophet will be, and the beast will be, and death will be, and Hades will be, and where God will not be. And Paul says that in Ephesians, he says it in Galatians, he says it in 1 Corinthians, he says it in Philippians. But here's what also Paul says, and this is what I love about even back in chapter 2. He says, you once were by nature children of wrath. So guess what's true of you and me today? You are not under God's wrath. As a Christian, you will never be under God's wrath, ever. Because the wrath that God had for you as a son or daughter of disobedience, 
he placed on his son. And that's why Jesus cried out to God, God, if there's a way that you can do this without me, I'd prefer it. If there's a way I can go to the cross and not endure the sins of the sons and daughters of disobedience, I would prefer that. And God said, I need to put my wrath upon something other than them whom I've chosen and it's going on you. And that's why Jesus hung on that cross and said, where are you? Where, why have you forsaken me, God? Why have you turned your back on me? And the reason is, is because God's wrath was being poured out onto his son so that you and I could read Ephesians 2 and say, you are no longer a, chill, a child of God's wrath. But you have been raised up with Jesus. Now, with all of that context, now go back into chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, because of all of that, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. See, guys, here's the reason why we don't need to do immorality and impurity and greed and filthy talk and coarse jesting. The reason we don't need to do it is because we are about the business of being imitators of God. We're too busy spending our lives thanking God and praising God and serving others and going on mission trips and coming to serve here at Cornerstone and listening to Tuesday night Bible studies. That's what we're about the business of doing. Because you're sons and daughters of the king. Those songs we sang tonight, I don't know who's doing PowerPoint back there, but that, that second to last song, the, the chorus was like, we keep, we keep waiting for you, Jesus. We keep waiting for you to come. And do you know who sings that? Not sons and daughters of disobedience. Not people that engage in practices that are ungodly and have no remorse and no regard for them. They're too busy living a self-indulgent life. But rather a selfless life full of love is the person that sings these songs and longs for that. You don't need to worry about some sin that's in your life and, and whether or not you're saved. That's not the issue here. Rather, the issue is how thankful am I tonight that I'm not under the wrath of God? How thankful am I tonight that I have inherited the kingdom of God. Because guys, certain people have not. And their destination is horrific at best. But you, you have inherited his kingdom. You have the power to be an imitator of him. He says further down, someone will get to this next week or so. Um, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 11. He says in verse 11, do not participate in these, but even expose them for it is disgraceful. And then he says, for this reason, it says, awake, sleep and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise, making the most of your time. One of the reasons that we, we don't need to engage in, in immorality, impurity, evil desires, greed, all the deeds of the flesh, we just don't have time. I'm too busy trying to imitate my father God. Somebody said it back here. One of the reasons you got out of it was because you woke up and realized I can't justify it any longer. That's a great day. Hard. 
But man, how satisfying is that when you and I can get up and say, I can't do it any longer. My computer um, about a year ago was getting the best of me. I'll just leave it at that. So I just got, I got, I got X3 watch, blah, 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 whatever it is. Got it on my phone. And now everything I do on my phone and my computer goes to my friend. And every week he gets a report of everything I do on my laptop and my phone. And that's not because I'm Superman. That's because I woke up one day and said, I can't, I'm tired of reading this stuff, God, and justifying it. I'm tired of it. So help me. And God said, it's not hard. It's called whatever program it is and get an accountability partner in there and you're off and running. It's the desire to want to change. So you may be at a place tonight where a certain particular sin has got the best of you and you're tired of it. And I'm telling you, you can do something about it. Um, I picked up this leadership magazine. Um, Listen to this. Psychologist Philip Zimbardo describes drug addiction as wanting more. But guys today have what he calls arousal addiction, always wanting something different. He says this never-ending stream of stimulation is behind the growing failure of males to connect with women socially or to succeed academically. Zimbardo cites excessive internet use, video gaming, and online porn as causes of this new addiction. Now listen to this. He says, by age 21... Boys will spend 10,000 hours gaming, two-thirds of which are spent in isolation. From the time a boy is seven till he's 21, on average, he will spend over 6,000 hours in his bedroom alone gaming. The average young man watches 50 porn clips per week. He says this, boys' brains are being digitally rewired in a totally new way for change, novelty, excitement, and constant arousal. They're totally out of sync with traditional classes, which are analog, static, and interactively passive. And they're totally out of sync in relationships, which build gradually and subtly. This is creating, in his opinion, a generation of young men who do not connect well in traditional teaching situations and who lacks social skills, especially with women. And we wonder why, when we look at our teenage boys, what is wrong with my son? What is wrong with my nephew? What is wrong with my grandson? Zimbardo saying, it's right in front of us. But again, Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. The empty words is, oh, it's okay. That's just the culture today. That's what boys do today. Who is going to lead our churches in 15 years? Someone who has a master's degree in modern warfare. That's who's going to lead our churches. Right? I mean, Malcolm Gladwell says in Outliers, he says, if you put 10,000 hours into anything, you will master that thing. And Zimbardo's saying... Give a boy from age 7 to 21, he will master video gaming because he will spend 10,000 hours playing it. Nothing wrong with that. I just don't know if I want that guy marrying my daughter, leading my church, running my country. Well, who's going to do it then? Um, so, so that's why this stuff matters. Does that make sense? 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of this, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Let's close in prayer. God, thanks for allowing us this time together. Thank you so much for the people of Cornerstone. Father, thanks so much that um, whatever church we attend, we can be about the business of being an imitator of a holy God. Father, I know my sin. You know my sin. We don't, we don't need to go around the room and share our sins tonight. But Father, maybe this would serve tonight as a, as a, as a wake-up call for me, for those who love you, those who call you Abba, Father. That there are certain things that we do with our lives, there are certain practices that we engage in, that let's just be honest, Father, you're not pleased with them. And God, neither should we be. This is not a call to perfection. This is not a call to be holier than thou and to lord that over others. Father, maybe this is a wake-up call for some of us that have neighbors that are clearly living the life of a son or daughter of disobedience. Maybe this is a call for us to just come by them and just share the love of Jesus with them so that they can gain an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Maybe for some of us, Father, this is a wake-up call to to really deal with that, that sin that we've been putting off, dealing with. Because it fits into one of the deeds of darkness or one of the deeds of the flesh. Thank you, Father, that Paul was very clear with us tonight. And God, I pray that your word would not return void. For those who spoke up tonight, God, thank you so much for their discussion and their comments. And pray that you bless their night. And uh, for all of us in here, God, um, we desire to get to the end, be it tonight, tomorrow, and have our Father look at us and say, well done. Well done. In Jesus' name, amen.